This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now look, y'all, it is crazy outside. There's all kinds of stuff going on. If you are working a nine to five, you're probably stressed out about keeping your nine to five. If you don't have a nine to five, you're probably in the middle of trying to get a new nine to five. Or maybe you made the crazy leap to be a full-time entrepreneur like me. You got the world on fire all around you, middle of elections year. A lot of stuff going on. It's just, it's absolutely nuts, right? It's nuts outside. And I could definitely see, I'll speak for me. Look, for me, I know I be going to therapy on a regular basis. I believe in therapy, all right? Hashtag uh, black folks need therapy. Hashtag we all need therapy. We all need it. And for me, I can say if it wasn't for therapy being like an ongoing maintenance tool in my toolkit to help me stay level and help me realize that I'm okay, everything around me is okay, here's what I can control, that has been critical for me. And I would hope that if you have thought about therapy, and if, or if you haven't thought about therapy, shoot, let's say you're like, like I ain't got time for therapy, I got, I'm too busy trying to make sure that these plates keep on spinning, I hope that you check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online. It's completely convenient, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, keyword licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is incredible. It's very challenging to move around and find the right therapist for you. The fact that BetterHelp is providing that as just part of your experience is incredible. So find your support, get the help you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash corp today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash corp, C-O-R-P. What's up, y'all? It's Zach from Living Corporate, and listen, we have a really special episode. We have a special, and I do mean special, co-host with us today. Please introduce yourself. What's up, Living Corporate family? I just live in single. Look I at can't him. help it. This is Felicia and Rose Anuha, aka the truest MBA you will ever know. And I am the creator, executive producer, and host of the Trill MBA podcast, where my goal is to help you survive and thrive in corporate America by giving you the truth and being as real as only I can be. So I am super excited to be here with you today, Zach, because I love living corporate. I love everything you guys stand for. I love the content you guys are putting out for the people. And so thank you for this opportunity to hang out with you and talk that talk today. No, definitely the privilege is ours. And we definitely love Trill NBA. Great content. It was interesting because in our research trying to figure out, okay, who's doing what it is that we're trying to do who's who's out here really trying to have honest courageous discussions about um non-majority experiences in a uh in a workplace and, and trillion bay was really like the only podcast that we saw that was really focused on that i um, mean it's interesting because we, we actually had a conversation like internally about even like progressing and like moving forward with the living corporate platform because we wanted to understand if we needed to be here Right. But over time, I think what we realized is like there's definitely more than enough space for any voices that are aiming to do this. And the fact of the matter is, if I look across the entire podcast uh, landscape and I can only see one, then I mean, that probably means, you know, needs a little bit more. 
Yeah, we we need all different perspectives. Because here's the thing: as black people, we are not a monolith. Like. What black. goes for one black person doesn't go for the other. Hey, guess what? Not all black folks are Christian. Not black. all black folks are Baptist. <laughs> you know, yes. like, we're mm. not all mm. the same. But the problem is mm -hmm. the media portrays us as that one black friend or that crackhead or that baby mama. And that's yes. what it's been until recently, right? And we've Until, until recently, that's true. And so we have these stereotypes that we need to fight. And the only way to do that is for many more of us to tell our stories, you know, be real about what's happening to us in different aspects of our lives in corporate spaces. That's just one aspect of God. So many. No, it's super true. And I think it's interesting, even the way that like you're framing this, which in which I agree is I think like our, our vibes are really different, right? Like our core messages are the same, but our vibes are different. So like Trill NBA, you know, y'all are, if you correct me if I'm wrong, my impression is y'all been focused on like the very visceral experiences of black folks and how to really shed off the BS and really be your full selves at work. Now living corporate, we aim to do the same thing, but we're not just focused on black folks and the the framing and the tone in which we take around certain talks are a little bit different and one could even say it's almost like an exercise in respectability politics and the way that we go about handling our content yes which is what we're going to talk about today and segway to king <laughs> well the thing is also like i'm very focused on black women because that's what i know and that's what i understand Right. And the great thing is a lot of the things that happen to black women in corporate also happen to other non-white males in corporate. But right. I want to pick out the nuances for black women. So, for example, white women in the workplace, they get up in the morning, they'll look in the mirror and their concern may be, OK, does this skirt fit too tight because I don't want to draw negative attention or derail my career because I'm coming off too sexy at work. Whereas black women look in the mirror and say, okay, do I wear my natural hair today or do I need to put this heat on it and damage it one more again? What meetings I got today? Mm. So it's the same experience in the root of oppression. It just shows itself differently. And that's what I want to bring to the forefront. It's more than appreciated and needed. Um, but yeah, you're right. We're talking today about respectability politics. Yep. Um, and uh, for those, because we haven't really said this yet, but we're going to say it now. So this is like a two-parter, y'all. So we're going to have part one on the living corporate side, and then we're going to have part two <laughs> on the Trill MBA side. So... Uh, but to, but we just want to kind of give some context in terms of just what is it what it is that we're talking about. So I want to go ahead and give a quick definition of respectability politics. And it's interesting because when you look up respectability politics, like you like Google it, right? Mm -hmm. Like so, there's a Wikipedia entry, and then there's a couple of like posts on Medium, and there's also an article on the Root. Um, but there isn't like a super historical breakdown like within the New York Times or uh, the Washington Post or even like the Atlantic. Like it's not. 
it's not necessarily something that we just talk about and have really explored in depth um, in the same ways that as, as we have other like hot terms, hot button terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do want to talk a little bit about it. So the term politics of respectability, I'm reading from the wiki, y'all. So don't don't judge me. <laughs> Ultimately, when you when you look at the history of respectability politics, it it really actually started from, from the efforts of black women aiming to distance themselves from the negative stereotypes uh, of uh, that came with being black in their communities, and it aims to uh, control or really set the terms of behavior um, to make sure that your behavior kind of adheres to norms and those norms are typically established by the majority uh stereotypes uh typically like around like us being lazy or dumb or violent or immoral and so a lot of times when you think about like respectability politics think about the difference between carlton and will on the fresh prince (laughs) bel-air right yeah right so like carlton was like very um quote-unquote articulate he dressed um he did not you know sag his pants he was a respectable guy. He was very intelligent. Um, and whereas Will was, he'd sag his pants, he'd laugh, he'd joke, he'd be all loud. You know what I mean? He was, um, he dated a lot. So, you know, he was not monogamous at all. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, that's where you see, you kind of, you definitely see like a dichotomy there. Um, and then it says, so then I'm also, again, I'm reading off the wiki. Um, that's, that's like kind of some of the background. But I'm also going to put some of the other links in here around some of the other posts that we found, some of the other research that we found. Um, there are research studies associate part of the high burden of mental health disease for black Americans on assimilationist behaviors. So what does that mean? So the the idea or the activity of us aiming to act white, quote unquote, puts a mental strain on us, right? Like the idea that we need to adhere and just like behave in a certain way all the time. And that self-policing, that act of self-policing is mentally draining. Researchers Hedwig Lee and Margaret Takao Hicken argue further conversations about respectability politics should always consider the challenge of negotiating everyday social spaces as a black American and how this impacts mental health. Um, and then so really though if you want to if you want to really read more on the origins of respectability politics, check out the book Righteous Discontent, The Women's Movement in the Black Baptist Church from 1880-1920 written by Evelyn Brooks Higginbotham. And that's where the term was really coined and and, uh, and created. And it really, again, was to describe the social and political changes in the black community during this time. So this was transitioning from slavery. Um, there was a movement or originated in the black church to really like almost reform the black image. Um, this black image was one that was created through oppression. Um, but it was the idea of having the right types of behaviors to be accepted as a functioning member of society. And you see that again, like when you, like today, I remember when I grew up, you know, it, when I was a little kid, there would be other black people who would be like, you know, y'all need to stop acting so black. Y'all need to act white. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you're hanging out with your, your friends, your black friends, it'd be like, you acting white. Mm-hmm. If you happen to do good, well in school or <laughs> speak well, or just reject, like, just reject slang <laughs> or he's like, oh, you acting white. He's like, I'm, I'm not acting white. I'm just, I'm not acting white. Like, that's super problematic. But that's, that's the idea of respectability politics. Um, 
And then like, look, so here you go. So y'all want another example. I'm about to say a bunch of buzzwords today. Black <laughs> Lives Matter. So the Black Lives Matter movement is an example of a movement against respectability politics. The movement was motivated by the shooting death of Trayvon Martin. So we know the story of unarmed, unarmed teenagers shot by a neighbor. In line with the growth of the Black Lives Matter movement, some celebrities who have typically shied away from the conversations about race have begun to engage the topic. And so we have like Shonda Rhimes as an example. Of course, we have uh, John Legend, but like, there's a again, y'all. Like that's the idea. Am I making sense, Felicia? Am I? Am I yeah, just kind of all over? I'm. I'm over here triggered. That like that's why I'm like, oh my god, yeah. Because I was that kid who was told in elementary school by my elementary school teacher. Shout out Miss Sledge. Well, I guess she might be married now. <laughs> um, but you know, I would come to school and speak in black vernacular from home and when you're learning you know how to write sentences and write in you know proper English quote unquote you are told then at that point that how you're writing this is is wrong because I would like write things like what it is how you doing, <laughs> you know? And it's no, the teacher's like, how are you doing? Oh, okay. And yeah, I caught on quickly and I learned how to code switch without even understanding that's what I was learning to do. It became, this is how you talk at school and that's how you talk at home. And so for me, I also had a nickname like many black people. And so my nickname is Lisa. And so at home, I was Lisa, and at school, I was Felicia. And so there began this whole psychological warfare of who am I, <laughs> or who do I need to be, right. and always questioning that. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm triggered right now. <laughs> well, it's just it's it's interesting, right? Because basically, respectability politics or adhering to respectability politics as look for you to be treated better by those in power you need to act this way mm -hmm. right so you need to you know at work you need to dress this way you need to say these things your work needs to look like this like and it's not so much about quality or even delivery it's about the methodology of a thing and not necessarily the actual the actual thing itself mm -hmm. and that again like that effort to continue to self-police and tweak and adjust and consider every little thing you do can be genuinely literally nerve-wracking right it's dangerous it's super dangerous in my experience in my career what i've seen is that a lot of times when you have like you know employee resource groups or these types of groups that are like basically asking you to huddle around um some aspect of shared shared identity typically it's race um and for for the black ergs what i've seen is really just a lot of conversations around respectability right so hey when you come to work you need to you know make sure you dress like this don't be saying don't use slang it's just it's a bunch of don'ts mm -hmm. right it's a bunch of it's a bunch of things for you to assimilate right and i think the biggest thing about respectability politics and just the whole concept of you know you need to act this way so that white people approve of you is look there's nothing you're going to do there's nothing you're going to do that is going to dissuade someone from realizing that you're a black person, right? right? Now, in your mind, I guess if your if your goal is just to make sure that you look like you're one of the good ones, 
I mean, I guess that's a choice, but ultimately nothing you're going to do is going to stop them from remembering that you are not white. And it's interesting because like when I talk to older uh, mentors of mine who same age as my parents, they are for a little while, they've done this for a little while. Mm -hmm. I say, what advice do you give me? They're like, look, the main thing you need to realize is you will not ever be one of them, like ever. Like that's the, that's the feedback. And like, that's what they've said over and over and over is, Hey, you, you're not them. You're not, and you're not, you're not ever going to be them. So as long as you keep that in mind, it's like, like, you know, I know you're doing well and everybody likes you and blah, blah, blah. But like, you're not, you're not going to be them. And it was just, that hurt my heart. Like for that to even be like, for that to be, for that to be the advice that they gave me is it, it hurts. Like it's real, but it hurts. It's like, wow. Okay. So hold on. Let's unpack that. Mm. (laughs) Why does that hurt you? And, so it and many my, people it, it, like why what is yeah. it about the fact that you will never be them that yeah. you feel that makes you feel uncomfortable or you feel a certain kind of way it's just it's just sad like it's really sad like because a lot of times we say well there is no there are no races but the human race and we're all one people and all this kind of stuff and it's like you know ultimately everybody wants to be accepted mm. right everybody wants to be accepted so like when you're like hey i don't care what you do you are always gonna be other you're always gonna be different and so it's the so that the fact of me always being other and different isn't isn't on its face hurtful that's not the problem Mm -hmm. but what is sad is that like the people that i'm talking to who are at the top of their respective fields they are you know, again, outside looking in, very respected and highly successful with a huge network of people that don't look like them. That ultimately, even they, they go home at the end of their days or they're in these situations where they still don't feel as if they truly are accepted and belong there. That's sad to me. It hurts. So that that's that, what I mean when it's, it hurts. Yeah, that's and that's why I needed you to unpack that because I didn't want it to be like you necessarily want to be them or want to be in the white boy club or want to be a white boy. It's there's no. just right. No. <laughs> I just wanted to make that no, clear. More, no, no, definitely not. I'm very, I'm very in love with uh, the, the skin God gave me. I'm happy with the, my culture and my identity. Amen. It's just more about like being, being other. Like it's just, it's a different life. It's a different experience and there's nothing you're going to be able to do to really to change that and not that you should necessarily even want to change that I guess in terms of you being different but it's just sad like it's just sad to me that like I've met I've met people who have been I mean they've been working for 40 50 years Mm -hmm. like they've been they've really been putting in all this effort and you would think at some point they would be truly accepted Mm -mm. and truly part of the of of the in group Mm -mm. and there's always going to be a there's always going to be a bit of tension there in terms of how much do you really belong well, and that's the thing you you're not. And and but we need to realize that that's okay. That it's okay to just live in your truth and be who you are. And I think what's so hard is that as human beings, there's a need to feel accepted and to feel like you belong and that you have a place in the space that you occupy. And that rudimentary human need is expressing itself through the nuance of 
history and culture, you know, basically everything is the fault of slavery. But I think what bothers me the most is that you can't win in this situation of respectability politics because your mentors and those men that were telling you, hey, Zach, when you come into this space, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you need to be this way. That isn't necessarily a rejection of who you are. What that is, is survival. And so something that we have to give our ancestors the benefit of the doubt on is that the reason why they were trying to conform and assimilate is so that they can lessen the negative aspects of life that came from being so different and making white people uncomfortable. And so the idea is that if I show you and and prove to you that I'm just as human as you are, that I'm just as good as you have claimed to made yourself to be, then you should treat me better and you should just let me live. But that's the flaw in the thinking is that you do this activity, you change yourself, you conform, but they will never see you as human. They will never see you as equal. They will never see you as them because the the hate and the wanting to be in power and the wanting to be better than and more runs so deep through generations of the culture of Caucasians that you can do all the respectability politics you want and it will get you so far. It will help you survive. It will. But it, it will. won't help you thrive. No, it, it won't. And I think it's just so, it's so interesting because I would say like the most respectable person that we've ever seen on the public stage in our generation is Barack Obama, right? Oh, God. <laughs> Poor Barack. Like Barack Obama is the most <laughs> respectable person <sighs> ever to respectable ever. But, like, he is super. But yet, what I, and see, this is where I love Barack, right? Because mm-hmm. in a very rebellious way, he would let his blackness be known in public. So, like, when you see him greeting, you know, white people and he's shaking their hands, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. How you doing? And then a brother <laughs> comes in that line and it's a whole full dap up. I hear you. I hear you that there would be certain things he would do to let y'all know that he's he's that he is black. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is that when you look at his overall profile, like this man has had he always uh, spoke very well. Um, he went to <laughs> prestigious colleges, rarely cursed, like in mixed company. He um, always kept his cool, right? Like he was never angry. People used to complain about the fact that he didn't get angry enough. Uh, he he dressed very res- respectably. Um, but ultimately... People still talked to him crazy. People still called. Mm-hmm. Uh, people still attacked and degraded his wife. People still uh, attacked 
and degraded his children. People mm-hmm. uh, still, you know, questioned his questioned his competence and uh, made a bunch of state a bunch of extremely racist statements. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because, like, wow, man, this dude is the president of the free world. He's a leader of the free world, and yet he can't. And he yet can't he can't, he can't win. He, he can't, can't win. win. Like, can't win him. I want to say like Tony C. Coates in the Atlantic said, "Man, I watched this man like he said like walk on ice like and never and never slip like once, right? Or something like that." It was like it was like he was he was squeaky clean. But and then, yet like go ahead. I was gonna say, but then think about if Barack Obama had acted up half as bad, just half as bad as this fool forty five that's in office right now. Can you imagine the David Duke-like person this country would have elected? Because I feel like the current person that holds the office of president, I can't even bring myself to call him president, but that thing in office right now, (laughs) he is a direct result of Barack Obama's respectability politics and Barack Obama being this entity of a human that had to walk this tightrope line and behavior and manner and actions and, you know, trying to do the best he could with what he had. And they still hated him for it. And they just hated the fact that he was black. And because of that, it was like, well, this, I ain't gonna say it on your side, but you know what they called him, and and now this is the this is like okay we got rid of him we're gonna fix it now and then you know it's like swinging the pendulum all the way to the wrong side. Right. Well. Well. You know. It, it's. I believe it was in Martin Luther King's. Um, I think it was either Where Do We Go From Here or Letter Letter from Birmingham Jail. But he talks about. He talks about um, white backlash to mm-hmm. to black progression, right? And he talks about the fact that, like, whenever there's something that happens where black folks make some type of progress in being more free, mm-hmm. um, then 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 the white majority. And again, for those who are listening, not every single white person. We're talking about the historical narrative of America that there's some type of backlash and I want to say like Van Jones Van Jones a couple years ago as problematic as he can be from time to time is <laughs> he was okay Van like he, he he used the term white lash um, and that's what it is right and this is not a political po- podcast right, right. but uh, but, it, but it's just to me like it's the biggest example to me of respectability politics yep. and the narrative of like look like if they're not gonna listen to Barack Obama with his very prestigious pedigree and vast intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, they likely not going. They likely not going to feel you either. So, like, right. how do you? So then, like, the question to me then is, what does it look like to reject respectability politics, reject respectability, and be your best self? Right. Like, that's really what I want to understand. I want to understand what advice. It is we have for our listeners who, you know, who have, again, black culture, like black culture, we, there's large parts, especially professional black culture, mm-hmm. is largely shaped by respectability politics. Like, you're going to go and show up to these things, you're going to talk a certain way, you're going to do, a, you're going to not do certain things, you're going to not have certain conversations, 
you're going to laugh at certain jokes you're going to laugh a certain way you're going to dress a certain way like because of respectability politics because you want to fit in and the point that you made earlier about hey like it's not it's not to shame anybody the the origin of respectability politics and the origin of uh uh attempted assimilation is survival mm-hmm. right like and that that translates today like we act and carry ourselves in a certain way because we want to get promoted or we don't want to get fired or right. you know we we want a bonus or we want like there are things that we believe that respectability will earn us will uh, will reward us right and 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 so but i'm really curious about it's that conversation how do we encourage folks to to be their full selves right how do we encourage people to fully embrace who they are and um, and, and really be their authentic selves because only in being your most authentic self can you really be your best at work. Right. And I think we have to really get honest with ourselves and understand that we're operating out of fear. And so this is something that um, I'm will be touching on in my book. I'm working on a book right now to come out at the beginning of next year. Um, <laughs> and it's focused on career management for black women. And so one thing we've always been taught is that, you know, you need to show up in a certain way. And what I'm finding through my research is that the black women specifically that are doing very well in corporate America. So they're in the pipeline. They have senior level sponsors. So their sponsors are CMOs, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs. Their their sponsors are in the C-suite. And they are being put into the succession pipeline for higher levels of leadership. Those black women are actually doing well because they do something that's very unique in that they decide that they're going to be themselves. But in addition to being themselves, they decide to share their story, one. And two, they also decide to bring their most positive self to work every day. So one thing Mm. they still keep, I think, from the realm of respectability politics is the idea that I have to fight against the stereotype of being the angry black woman. And I honestly think this is okay because my grandma, she always told me, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, baby. And that... (laughs) holds true to this day. And so when you come into an organization and you face those challenges and the stress people try to cause you, whether necessary or not, when you can come in with your happiest self, your most pleasant self, your most positive self, and still bring the critical thinking, push back in a way that's a win-win for everybody, you know, tell people about you and who you are and your personality, which we've always been taught, don't do that because they're going to use it against you later. When you make that change, that's where you start to see a resonating with the humanity of the people you work with that don't look like you. Because now, instead of being afraid of you, they start to understand you as a human and you're not just this black entity that they 
don't know and, and they're afraid of. And so that's the thing that we need to change. We need to focus more on relationship building and less on conforming and putting our heads down and thinking that our work is going to speak for ourselves because work is only 10% of the equation in success. So you can do all the great work you want to. The mediocre white man is still going to get your promotion. Why? Because he has relationships. Mm. And so we can now move from this idea of respectability politics because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to our mental health. It's dangerous because it doesn't help us fight stereotypes the way we think it is. It's like you're trying to call out the stereotype as wrong. And first of all, stereotypes are just generalizations that have a bit of truth in them. We all have a cousin Pookie. Yes, it's true. He might not be named Pookie, but we all have him. You know who your cousin Pookie is. I got a couple of... Every family has a, a cousin Pookie. Right. Every family. Right. 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 But the thing that we need to get white people to understand that our cousin Pookie is their cousin Billy Bob or their cousin Ray Ray. Correct. Exactly. That's <laughs> my point. Yes. Everybody has one. Everybody has a problematic, like a challenging family member everybody has problems in their family there's like the 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 things that are so negatively uh, attributed to to black culture and brown culture those things are happening in all families exactly all 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 communities Exactly. Um, Exactly. and because life happens because life happens and we are all human beings yes And that's what we all need to understand. This idea of thinking that there's aspects of your life that will make you better than the next person next to you and somehow make them less human than you are. Like you're somehow you're a better human. That's the crux of prejudice and racism and just all these ideas of you trying to somehow elevate yourself on the backs of someone else and in order to do that and to somehow keep your conscious you have to dehumanize the person who you're standing on right and in this country it plays out around race but you know this is a human problem But the more that we use our intellect to recognize it and recognize that respectability politics was only a way for us to survive in white spaces, that that doesn't work now. And you can try all you want to. You're not going to win. Barack is a very good example of that. And so now what do we do? We tell our stories. We humanize ourselves to the world. We share our culture. We share all of it, though. The fun parts, the sad parts, the raw human parts, the elated, joyful parts. And that's how we start to shift in the minds of the next generations that we are not a people that you can continue to step on and elevate yourself. Because we're going to move and you're going to fall on your butt. And, you know, I just, I'm really appreciative of this conversation. I mean, it's tough because when you think about, 
I was raised to, to really believe that, look, if you just put your head down, you work really hard, you keep your business to yourself, you mm-hmm. don't tell your story, mm-hmm. you don't, then you're going to go far. And it's like, look, like like you said, that's not working now. Nope. Like storytelling, storytelling is the chief medium of connection. Like, and it's growing to be that, especially in corporate spaces. Like those who can best tell stories, those who can best connect the dots in a way, in a narrative form, and not like in a bulleted list, but like truly how they communicate is an effective storytelling. Mm-hmm. Those are the those are the folks that are making an impact. And that's a different point of direction for us. And it's like very much so against the grain of what I believe we've been taught historically will keep us safe. Right. But I want you to realize everything that we've been taught was taught out of fear. So it was, I'm afraid for you to walk in this space and I need you to keep yourself safe. And so, you know, these are the things you need to do, which is, I mean, but literally it was about life or death, right? Like if you walked in and you looked at a white man in the eye, you could die. Right. You know, and so respectability politics had its place. But I think now we need to move forward and realize it is a new day. And so for you, Zach, I would encourage you to be more brave, be more courageous and take those chances that feel like risky, like real risky and go Mm -hmm. for it. Because those are the those are the things that get you promoted when you oh no doubt go to the ceo and be like hey i'm zach i just wanted to introduce myself you know how you doing today now everybody will be like you just walked up to the ceo with your black self and what did you say even your white boss will be in fear (laughs) but the thing is when you do that though you're humanizing yourself you're humanizing this person who has this title and everybody walks around on eggshells around. And now this person wants to connect with you because you opened the door and they're just humans. And so we need to figure out as black people, how do we get comfortable in our own skin in the workplace to make those human connections with the white men that are old and stodgy and they have resting bitch face that nobody ever calls out that old white men have resting bitch face. But, you know, like, how do you get past all of that facade and go talk to them and meet them and learn about them and ask them to learn from them and share with them the things that you know about their organization that they'll never see because they're the CEO? No, that's real. And I mean... It's interesting that you say that because even like, and I haven't really ever shared this yet, but like my my promotion journey to get to a manager role, um, and I got promoted in my last firm, and I'm at a new firm now, new consulting firm now, but it had a lot to do with me telling my story and putting myself out there and connecting and networking with fairly senior folks. Um, and and I don't and I don't think it's exclusive, um, and I don't think you're saying this, and I recognize no. your truly MBA's focus, <laughs> um, but it's it's it's, it's this for pertains to. It's for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. It's for every non-white person, and it's for white uh, people. To, it's for white men too. Like, and that's the thing we need to realize. Like, in some way, respectability politics 
also plays out from a economic standpoint. So you will have poor white men whose narrative is, I was raised in the backwoods of Alabama and my parents scraped together enough money to send me to Alabama University. And so then I went to grad school, I got into Harvard. And now I've unlocked this new world of elitism. Right. And then they hide, you know, their hick family. You know, they feel like they have to fit into this elite That's real. people, you know. So these things happen in different ways, but they happen to all of us. Yeah. And so I don't want to deny anybody's experience. I just want to call out, hey, as black women, this is how this happens for us in a way that humanizes us and in a way that you can understand. No, that's real. And so what I want us to do is I want us to go ahead and for our listeners. It's about to get real. (laughs) Check us out. We're about to go ahead and you're going to listen to part two of this conversation on the Trillium NBA show. That's right. So look, we got like a crossover thing. It's really cool, right? Like it's kind of like when you have, I don't know, what's what's all the shows on CB? You got like or on, on um, NBC, you got Law and Order, and then you got SV, SVU, and like mm-hmm. you know, all the characters kind of crossover. Like oh snap, oh they oh snap, oh my goodness, like they're on the, you know. So it's kind of like that for for your podcast for your the loyalists over on Living Corporate. Y'all get to now hear me on Trillium NBA and vice versa. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like that. You going you the Olivia Pope, and then I'm gonna be Viola Davis. I always forget her character's name. I know that's horrible, but she's so ratchet on that show. Like she killed people and everything. So I don't oh, think you don't a, how to get away with murder. Yes, yes. You know they did that crossover episode. Elise yeah, that, Keating. I'm gonna be Elise Keating, and you're Olivia Pope. So you all statuesque and like put together. White mm-hmm. knight in it, and then I'm over here breaking laws because I'm a rebel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so if you want to come over and hear us be real black, uh, come on over to the True NBA <laughs> oh show. Gosh. Where What we're going to break down, though, we're going to give you tangible, tactical tips on how to combat respectability politics for yourself in your workplace over at True NBA. All right, y'all. Well, listen here. Thank y'all for listening to the Living Corporate Podcast. You can check us out everywhere at Living Corporate. That's right. So if you Google, that's right, Google Living Corporate, we'll pop up. We're Living Corp underscore pod on Twitter. We're at Living Corporate on Instagram, Living Corporate Podcast at gmail.com. Email address, and then we're Living Dash Corporate. Please say the dash dot com for the website. We're also livingcorporate.co. We're like all the living corporates dot whatever, except for livingcorporate.com because Australia is still holding on to that domain. So we're going to have to see what's going on uh, with the AU so we can get that domain. But yeah, um, if you have any questions you'd like for us to, to read on the show or anything you'd like for us to shout out, man, look, our DMs are open. Okay. Twitter DM, Instagram DM, Facebook, Messenger, and you can email us at livingcorporatepodcast.gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, which I've already talked about. 
Um, and you make sure to subscribe to our newsletter through our website as well. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Shout out to JJ. Shout out to all the folks who are checking out the podcast. Shout out to Trill NBA. You're going to see us over on the next one. This has been Zach. And you've been listening to myself, Felicia, and Rose, Anuha, a.k.a. the trillest NBA you will ever know. JJ, drop the air horns right here. Yes, right on the outro. We're going to put the air horns on here for my girl, Felicia. Thank you so much. Thank y'all for listening to us. We're going to be back. Peace. That was so cool. <laughs> Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin from Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.